I'm always mesmerized of how when somebody in public life gets into sin and trouble, and the media always say, that person has fallen from grace. And I often have to think twice about what they really mean by that. And most often what they mean is that that person has fallen from the grace that they have afforded that public figure. For the question to everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, Lord, and friend, the question is, can a believer, a true genuine believer, ever fall from grace? And the answer comes screaming to us from the pages of the Scripture. Not what I think, not my opinion, what the Word of God said. And the answer is, absolutely not. You fall into grace, but you never fall out of grace. You say, why? Because, very simply, grace is God's unearned gift to the believer. Grace is the unmerited favor. Grace is God's free gift, and God never reneges on His gift. And the true believer, therefore, can never, ever fall from the grace of God. Today we come to the end of the series of messages from the epistle of Jude. This is a prophetic word for our time. And as we come to the end, we see the vital importance for us to stand firm as we see the day drawing near. I hope you already turned with me to the last few verses of that epistle, verses 17 to 25. And there are two things, basically, he tells us in these few verses. In verses 17 to 23, he tells us about what can we do to remain faithful in our walk with the Lord. Then in verses 24 and 25, he tells us God's part, or what God does to keep us safe in Him. How do we stay faithful in the Lord and His Word? Three things, he says, be informed, be insulated, and be involved. I'm going to explain those in a minute. They're right there in the text. First, he said, be informed, verse 19. In fact, according to verse 19, he says, whenever you see somebody causing division in the body, whenever you see someone setting themselves up above the Word of God, whenever you see someone who is so arrogant as they relegate authority to themselves instead of the Word of God, whenever you see someone destroying spiritual unity, be on your guard. Look at verse 19. It is these who set up divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. He is saying that we must be informed, that we must be discerning, that we must be alert. Don't get taken in by smooth talkers. Don't get taken in by their offer of something new. Don't get taken in by them replacing the grace of God for man's effort to reach God. Be informed. Stay informed. Staying informed means that you must test everything by the Word of God. I tell you this, and I'm going to keep saying it until I go to glory. Test everything I say to you by the Word of God. Measure it against the Word of God. Stay informed. Secondly, he said, learn how to insulate yourself. Verse 20. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. How you do that? 
by praying in the Spirit, by staying in God's love, by patiently wait for the Lord. Well, how do you do that? Very simply, by not removing yourself from God's protective shield, from God's protective cover. Listen to me. Whenever I do not pray in the Spirit, as the Spirit leads me to pray, whenever I do not spend time in intimacy with God's Word, whenever I allow things, including ministry, by the way, because ministry can be an idol, when I allow anything to take my attention from the Lord Himself, I find myself not only spiritually dry, but I am losing out on the blessings that come from being under His protective cover. Does that affect my salvation? Absolutely not. When the prodigal son came out of his father's protective shield, when he came out of his father's protective cover, when he came out of his father's roof, did that affect his father's love for him? No, the boy was the one who suffered. The boy was the one who missed out on the blessing. The boy is the one who forfeited the enjoyment and the joy of experiencing his father's love. And when you follow these scoffers and don't spend time in intimacy with God, you will soon find yourself in the far country away from the protective cover of the Lord. I want you to hear me right on this one. This is very, very important. You can never build yourself up in your most holy faith without spending time with God's most holy Word. Can I get a witness? If you're relying on Sunday sermons, good as they are, (laughs) if you're relying on your midweek Bible study, good as they may be, if you're relying on reading books by Christian authors and not the Word of God, let me tell you something. (laughs) You will never be able to truly build yourself up in the most holy faith. Listen, I'm a writer of books. I write books. I read books. I've written some very good books. In fact, my modesty would forbid me from saying that I have written some wonderful books. I'm just too modest to tell you that. (laughs) But listen, in all seriousness, only the reading and the inwardly digesting of the Word of God is the only way I know how to build yourself up in the most holy faith. Be informed. Insulate yourself from the scoffers. Thirdly, be involved. Someone will say, well, wait a minute, isn't that insulating yourself and being involved two contradictory things? No, not really. Listen carefully. He is saying that you insulate yourself from the apostates, uh, from those who have known the truth and turned their back on it, to insulate yourself from false believers, to insulate yourself from false teachers. you got to insulate yourself from these wolves in sheep's clothing. But get involved with the non-believer. Well, look at verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Listen, I know and you know that there are some people who believe the truth, preach the truth, proclaim the truth, defend the truth at any price, and yet to the non-believers they can come across as angry and unloving and lacking in mercy. Now, beloved, listen. Save the harsh treatment to the false Christians. Save the harsh treatment to these wolves in sheep's clothing. 
but be merciful toward the non-believer. That's what the Word of God is saying. I'm not telling you. That's what He said. And that is why only spending time in intimacy with God and His Word will give you the wisdom, wisdom to hold things in balance, balance between mercy and kindness on the one hand and firmness and strength on the other. Wisdom to know when to speak firmly and when you speak gently. And if I have learned anything through the years, I have learned that one of the hardest things in the Christian life is speaking the truth in love. It really is one of the greatest challenges for any believer. But only close intimacy with God, a close walk with God, can truly help us do this, make us to be non-compromising and yet feel deep anguish for the sinners, to be firm on the truth of the Word of God and yet have deep love and longing to see lost people come to Christ. And that can only come from praying in the Spirit. That can only come when you are discerning the will of the Holy Spirit. That can only come from imitating your heavenly Father. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, one of my great heroes, was asked once by one of his captains. He said, I've tried everything, and I'm not leading anyone to Christ. Nobody's coming to Christ under my ministry. And that wise soul winner said to him, try tears. Try tears. He didn't give him a formula. He didn't give him a 10-step program. He didn't give him this and that. He just said, try tears. And in these last days of apostasy, sometimes only tears are going to bring people to Christ. On another occasion, William Booth was asked, and he said, I wish that part of my training of my officers is that I could send them to hell for 24 hours, just 24 hours, and bring them back. He said that will give them more compassion for the lost and more desire to reach the lost than anything I could teach them. And according to Jude, those who are doubters need to be treated with patience. Those who are at the edge of the flame of hell, they need to be snatched. Those who don't know the truth and inquiring about the truth, they need to be treated gently. Getting involved with the inquirers who want to know the Lord and His salvation. Those who have great doubts in their hearts about the truth, be patient with them. Not the apostate in the church who knew the truth and turned their back on it. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said the same thing. Verses 9 to 13, he said, For the believers to turn away from those false teachers and false preachers and false Christians, ah, but to love sinners and be involved with sinners and the unsaved. He said, Stay away from the apostates. Why? Because they know the lingo, they know the language, and they can speak in such a way they can mess with your head. Stay away from them. But unbelievers, doubters, inquirers, you need to love them and minister to them and be patient with them, explaining the Word of God to them. This is our part. Stay informed. Be insulated. Be involved. Secondly comes God's part in keeping us safe. Verse 24, well, it has to 
be right up there among the most favorite verses, if I have favorite verses, in the whole of the Scripture. Look at it with me. Verse 24. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. <laughs> Listen, this is the most exciting part of my Christian life. It really is. Listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm ecstatic about salvation. I'm ecstatic about my conversion to Christ. I'm ecstatic about my justification by faith alone. I'm ecstatic about my regeneration and the regeneration of my heart. I'm ecstatic about my redemption. I'm ecstatic about my future glorification. But when you understand that the same God who saved you will sustain you all the way home, you would want to shout. Amen. Sadly for me, I did not understand and comprehend this vital biblical truth until later in my Christian life. I wish I had somebody taught me that the day I came to Christ. And I can testify to you that before I understood that God can never, 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 never disown His own. He will never let me go. Before I understood that, my Christian life was joyless. My Christian life was a drudgery. My Christian life was made out of duties and rules. My Christian life was filled with fear. My Christian life was stale and dry. My Christian life was always up and down, actually more down than up. Oh, think with me. Okay, just think with me. How can I be totally committed? How can I be ready to give up my all if I don't know I'm going to be saved tomorrow, right? And it's if up to us to maintain our salvation. If it's up to us to maintain our relationship with the Lord, I promise you, we would blow it every time. Absolutely. I often tell this story, which really cemented this biblical teaching for me. It was back in 1977. We were walking down in the streets of Sydney, Australia. And Sydney, like any big city, I mean, traffic galore and crowds, particularly in the summertime. And, you know, people come from all over the country and all over the world to be there. And one day, we were walking in the city. Our eldest daughter was two years old at the time. And her grandfather had a grip on her hand. And Elizabeth and I... The baby was walking behind him, and I, I could see clearly what's going on. My daughter always had an independent streak about her. Although, let me tell you another secret. All my kids have an independent streak about them. <laughs> and I remember clearly, she was trying to wiggle her hand out of her grandfather's hand. And her just absolutely tried everything possible. And the wise grandfather just kept holding to that hand. And Finally, she started negotiating with her grandfather. <laughs> she said, look, I'll hold your hand. You don't hold my hand. <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work because the wise grandfather grabbed hold of her wrist <laughs> and he would not let go. Why? Because he knew that a two-year-old is liable to dart out into the traffic in a flash. And a wise grandfather would not let that happen. He knew that. And so the wise grandfather grabbed 
really tight on her hand. And, and I thought if the grandfather can understand that, if parents can understand this, can imagine God. If it is up to us to hold on to His hand, our Heavenly Father's hand, God help us. <laughs> the moment we see something more exciting, we're going to run and, and let go of that hand. We'll make a total mess of it. And that is why Jude said to him who is what? To keep you from what? Falling. What is he saying? He's saying a true believer cannot fall from God's grace. You notice he did not say he was able because that would make him unable in the present. Uh, He did not say he will be able because that affects the present. But he said he is able. Able means he was able, he is able, he will be able all the time. No one, no one is going to be able to wiggle their hands out of his hand. He is able, he was able, he will be able. You might try to run away and get out from under his protective cover, but he is what? To bring you back. You might try to wiggle out of his hand and the umbrella of his protection and blessing, but he is what? You might try to go to the far country, and you want to get away into the far country, but he is able to convict you and bring you back to himself. In fact, that's why the Apostle Paul said, he said, for I am convinced, not that I know or the possibility that I may know. He said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor any other created thing is able to take us out of His hand to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. He will keep all of His. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I lose none. He's not in the business of losing a child here and a child there. And when you wander off, He says, whoops, he's gone, sorry. No, no, He is what? Able to keep you from falling until He presents you to His daddy. Until that day, He takes you all the way home and bring you to His Father in heaven. You see, those apostates who claim to be Christians and claim this and they claim that and deny the very essence of the Christian faith, Jesus is just a way and He's my Savior but not the world's Savior, and all this stuff, listen to me, (laughs) they will not be there on that last day. They will not be presented on that last day. You see, that is the saddest part. You say, how do I know that I'm going to be presented on that day to His Father? Number one, he said so. Number two, the Spirit within you testified to that fact. But don't miss this magnificent picture here in that one verse. You see, the picture is that of a Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding has four stages in it. The first stage is for the groom to go out of his father's house and walk all the way to the bride's house. And there, He pays a hefty price. He puts a dowry, a big chunk of money, camels, donkeys, whatever it is, right on the table. It's a very costly thing. It's not a cheap thing because that's how he's expressing his love for that bride-to-be. And at that moment, they become betrothed to each other. She belongs to him. 
she become exclusively his. No other man is allowed to get anywhere near her. And then comes in the second. Once they are betrothed, they drink wine together as to cement this covenant, nail that covenant. And that's what we do on the Lord's table, to cement the fact that we are betrothed to Him. Thirdly, the groom goes back to his father's house after he's done that, and there he goes and builds an extra room for which he prepares it for his bride-to-be. And he will do it specifically to suit her and specifically to bless her. And once he finished building that extra room in his father's house, then he walks back across the village in order to bring his bride back. Meanwhile, the people in the village, when they see the groom heading for the bride's house, they start calling out, The groom is coming! The groom is coming! The groom is coming! And then the groom comes in. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to (laughs) say. He comes in and then he takes his bride all the way back to his father's house. I get excited thinking about the day of being presented to the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? I can't think of a more exciting thing in life. When I think of heaven, I want to leap there. (laughs) In fact, I remember the story about the elderly couple who died and went to heaven. And when the man saw how wonderful heaven is in a glorified body, no disease, no illness, no pain, no suffering, no tears, he looked at his wife and he said, man, he said, if I knew how wonderful heaven is, I would not have eaten all that oatmeal you gave me every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved, here's the picture. Our bridegroom left his father's house, and he came to our house, and there he paid a hefty price with his own blood to secure for himself a bride. He paid off the ransom to our former father, the devil, and he drank wine with us. And he told us, every time you drink this wine, every time you eat this bread, you remember that we are betrothed to him, that we are engaged to him, that we belong to him, that we should not be distracted by anybody else or anything else in life because we belong to Him. And every time we eat and drink this wine, not only remember that we betrothed to Him, but the fact that He's coming back to take us to His Father's house. That is why when Jesus left, He said to the disciples, He said, I go to my Father, and there I'm going to prepare a place for you. And once that place is ready, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you home. And for 2,000 years, faithful preachers have been saying, the groom is coming. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. And then one day our prayer will be soon. He's going to come back with shout of the archangel, and he will take us to his Father in heaven, and he's going to present us to his Father without a blemish, without a spot, without a wrinkle. The Bible said that Jesus Christ is anticipating that event with great joy in his heart. Do you have joy in your heart about that? Let me tell you this as I conclude. This overwhelming joy of anticipation of that day, it should encourage us in times of discouragement. It should lift us up when we're down. It should give us patience and perseverance when things get dark, and dark is going to get. It should make our climb easier. It will make our toilsome journey bearable. But I have a question for that one person who is asked 
If you die this afternoon, will you be in heaven? If your answer is, I hope so, I'm trying to be good enough for that day, I hope that I will do enough good things to get me there, that means you're not. And you can today. All you need to do is accept the invitation of the bridegroom and join the bride, for he's going to come to his bride, and you can be part of that. It is not by trying harder. It's not by trying to be good. It's not by trying. We'll do all this other stuff later. But your invitation to heaven is based on the groom and his payment of that hefty price on the cross, and he's inviting you. Will you say yes? Father, I cannot thank you enough for leaving us with the Word of God to encourage us, to motivate us, to remind us afresh that we are betrothed to you, that we belong to you. The world tried to distract us. They tried to lift up that shiny one for us. The world is trying to remind us and trying to make us think that we belong to this earth. But we know there is a new heaven and a new earth coming from heaven. Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in us that is only possible because of our betrothal to the Lord Jesus Christ. The one person who had never committed his or her life to you that today will come and accept your invitation. For Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.